Welcome to Rooftop Church. This podcast is part of our Sunday sermon series, where each week we dive into the Word of God and the powerful message of Christ. God, we thank you that you have allowed us to congregate for church service today, Lord. God, we're living in an era where there seems to be more suffering, uh, more prevalent, God. There seems to be even uh, heavier persecution uh, for those that are walking and living their Christian faith, Lord. Uh, Today, God, we glean on what Apostle Peter is conveying to the Christians all over the world, God. Uh, giving us a new perspective about the kingdom to come, Lord Father, that this process, this suffering will produce in us, Lord Father, God, eternal glory. So God, I pray that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive all that you're speaking to us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In August of 2010, Uh, When Chile's San Jose mine collapsed, it caused a more than uh, 770,000 tons of mega block of stone to collapse and causing all of uh, 33 Chilean miners to be trapped under 2,300 feet underground. 770,000 tons, that is more than twice the weight of the great Empire State Building. One miner recalls seeing a vision of his six-day-old grandson in his arms and his mother standing in front of him in the vision, conveying all that the sense that his life had all but come to an end. But soon the entire group had uh, gathered together and they set out a plan for survival for however many, however long the survival journey may be. They quickly organized themselves to work in shifts participated in daily prayer sessions, and rationed their emergency food supply into one meal a day of two cookies and one spoonful of tuna fish, and also augmented by water drained from industrial waste containers. They were all of a sudden struck with the harsh reality that their lives were soon coming to an end. Mr. Luis Arzua was the first person to be heard. Once verbal contact was made with the miners, with the people above ground, and his first words were, we are well and we hope that you will rescue us. Mr. Arzua recalled that he and the rest of the group prayed all the time. And he also recalled that one of his friends, one of the colleagues, got really sick and quickly all the men trapped underneath under the ground gather around and pray for the sick man, and they were able to witness the very next day this man had regained complete health by the next morning. And he also recounted even more seemingly inexplicable miracles during their time underground, and, they, they, and he credited that God was indeed with them, that God was uh, giving them and inspiring them to not lose hope of life. He said that as they began to hope, as they began to continue each day, they became more and more confident that they will be rescued by the people they loved. And they became even more increasingly confident that God will surely come through and rescue them. And their hope became their faith. They began to believe even more firmly at the remote possibility that their life were to be had again. 
The rescue team let down a drilling capsule just 22 inches wide and about 10 feet tall. And on the 69th day, the first entrapped miner was rescued. Inspired now by a billion of billion viewers across the world following the story, and I'm sure that as, as people were watching, they were also lifting them up prayers for the safety and the well-being of these 33 miners. This incredible rescue was completed when every single one of those entrapped, 33 entrapped miners were rescued. See, in those moments, every single survivor recalls that hope and faith were absolutely necessary. They share with those families, those, those news reporters and the media personnel, they said they had to believe, they had to hope that the possibility of living again was soon to be reality. Here in our text today, similar thing is happening here. Remember to whom Apostle Peter is writing this letter. Remember why Apostle Peter is writing this letter. He's writing to a group of Christians, a group of people that are questioning their faith, a group of people that they're tired of being persecuted, tired of being demanded to recant their faith, tired of being bullied and harassed by everyone around them. As a result, many of these Christians scattered throughout Asian Minor, they were contemplating whether life was worth living. This faith is worth keeping or not? Is this faith worth fighting for? And here, Peter is shifting their focus. Peter is giving them an alternate reality. Peter is painting a picture of another possibility in the midst of the heaviness of their suffering and persecution. Here, Apostle Peter is painting a picture of hope in the midst of their great, great suffering. Peter was making a necessary connection between present reality, which is suffering. Present reality. They were suffering greatly. But they were making the connection with what? The future hope. The future hope of eternal reward in heaven. Now, Peter was allowing his audience or his readers to make that connection, even though they were being pressed in their present reality, that they were, they, Peter wanted them to know that there was another possibility, another reality of future, and a future in heaven was awaiting them. That word is, again, really important, hope, which Peter calls here the living hope. And brothers and sisters, I want you to remember that it's hope that enables us. It's hope that carries us through the present suffering. Christianity is essentially that. It's not about the possibility of a better future. It's not about the possibility of something that can be had in the future. It's not about the possibility. It's about the certainty of a better future. That's what Christian hope is all about. Peter calls this the living hope in verse 3. Peter isn't talking about just a possibility. Peter is just uh, conveying to you that, hey, this can be better. Maybe Peter here in this passage is conveying the absolute certain reality that is to be had for those that belong to Jesus Christ. 
And today I want to just make two simple points here. As I, met, as I uh, titled today's sermon, The Hope in Suffering. And there are two reasons that Peter conveys to us in this passage. First is the vision of heaven. Say it with me. Vision of heaven. And Peter begins to describe in detail what that hope is all about. And he begins this picture of heaven starting verse 4. Let me read that for us. To obtain inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Interesting choice of word here in verse 4. That word inheritance, that word inheritance is actually a legal term. Inheritance meaning you don't have it yet, but it is legally, rightfully yours. It legally belongs to you. It is proven. It is for sure and certain. It has been contracted, arranged, and it has been confirmed that it is yours. Peter uses that language to assure that something has been apportioned for you. Something has been set aside and allocated. Has Someone has made a provision for you. Peter is drawing this picture that something could be had for us. You already qualify for that. You already have been assigned up for this portion. This is to be yours. And Peter is talking about here, describing this inheritance. He says, this is imperishable, undefiled, and it will not fade away. Meaning, it is pure in quality. And when we talk about what? Quantity. It is, there is no end to this inheritance. Amen. In other words, the vision of hope, the vision of heaven, and the vision of eternity is that there is no decay, there is no disease, there is no sin, there is no pain, there is no more suffering, there is no more evil, there is no more injustice in the place to be lived for you. Isn't that beautiful? Peter is now drawing a stark contrast of the reality that they were seeing, the things that were touching at that time, things that they were hearing through the news media or outlets, things that they were feeling in their community. Peter is now saying, I know this is what you're experiencing right now, but brothers and sisters, understand that there's another reality to be had for us Christians. There's a kingdom of God. Eternity is waiting for us. And it looks nothing like the life what you're seeing here on earth. And friends, that's what you and I are called to look forward to as well. The sad truth about all of this is that we don't really grasp this. We don't really embrace this all that well. We don't really embrace the reality of eternity, the reality of heaven all that well. It's because we've never really ever experienced anything like it. Nothing that you have encountered, nothing that I've experienced, there's nothing in this world that hasn't been tainted by sin. 
meaning our relationships, community, our government, even the church community that we are part of. Everything here on earth has some way and form has been tainted, has been corrupted by the effect of sin. That's why it's so hard. That's why there's so, such a dissonance between the reality of now and the reality of eternity to come. I mean, yeah, it's true. Life here still is full because God has created it. And even after the fall, God is continuing to redeem it. There's still beauty and there's still blessedness. There's still good to be experienced here on earth. But there's nothing that truly compares to what is to be had when the kingdom of God is made realized in its full form. This is why the, the Bible conveys to us the best is yet to come. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, in the words of Apostle Peter, this is what he says. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things, it, things God has prepared for those who love him. Friends, Life is okay. This is still a beautiful uh, world that we're living in. But what God has prepared for us in eternity is nothing like what we have seen here on earth. It's nothing like we have heard about here on earth. It's nothing that our minds have been able to conceive or even fathom. The best is yet to come. And Peter is so adamant about painting this uh, uh, important reality of eternity for all the believers and the followers of Jesus Christ in his time. That is the vision of our hope. That vision of heaven is what carries us. That hope of heaven is what carries us through the present and current sufferings living life here on earth. Our problem is that we settle for so much less than that. We settle for tiny little things, our tiny little jobs, our tiny little families, our tiny little homes and cars, our tiny little titles, our hobbies, tiny little kids' trophies and accolades and awards, tiny little stats, our bank accounts, our tiny little reputation. The greatest lie that all of us believe as human beings is that we act as though that we're going to live forever here on earth. That is the greatest lie for generations after generations that Satan has been successful in deceiving so many of us that our, our sight, our vision has been narrowed to of the things here on earth that we lose sight of what is to be had in the kingdom of God to come throughout eternity. We are narrow-minded. We are narrow-focused. We have this tunnel vision. We focus on what can be seen here on earth. We focus on only on what can be had with our own hands right now, right here. And I want to remind you that all of these things are minuscule. All of these things here on earth are trivial, inconsequential compared to what we can look ahead in heaven and onto eternity. 
and to settle for anything less than what is made available for us in heaven is foolish. Verse 6. In this, you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been by, distressed by various trials. The pastoral staff, um, we've been reading this book. Um, we make it a habit of reading um, we're constantly, we're, we're devoted to weekly reading, and right now we're going through a book called Driven by Eternity. And that book has to do with the reality of kingdom of God, reality of heaven and hell, and the purpose of life here on earth, all of these things. And we came across a question this past week's discussion. And the question was, would you want to go to heaven right now? Would you want to go to heaven right now? Maybe you ask yourself that question right now. Right now, you're going to go to heaven right now. All of us said yes, a resounding yes. But soon after that we had answered the question, uh, question with a, a resounding yes, we followed up with uh, our answers with all sorts of different contingencies and questions. We asked, well, yeah, I'm ready to go, but, but are our wives going to be there? Are our kids uh, going to make it? Are they going to go with us? And we said, when you say we're going to go to heaven right now, you're talking about like right now, right now, like jigum now? We said, well, is it like tomorrow? Is it like a little later? Do we have time to like uh, 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 lose like uh, 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 the clothes, loose ends? Do we have any time? And then I thought, do, do, do we have any time one hour to enjoy what I've had here. Any, just bring closure to the life that I've lived here. And, and we get, like, surprisingly, this discussion kind of lengthened longer than I, I thought it should. At the moment, I had to pause for a moment and to remind ourselves, hey, guys, we're talking about heaven right now. We're talking, talking about heaven, a place where streets of gold we're talking about a place where there is no pain, no more worries, no more tears, no more fears or shame. And we will be, we're talking about a place where we will be with God forever onto eternity. Talk about eternity. Guys, that ain't no song that you sing, looking into the eyes of your spouse, your husband and wife on your wedding day, eternity forever. That ain't no eternity. We don't celebrate that. We don't look forward to that. We look forward to eternity because that's where God is. We look forward to heaven because in heaven, everything that you will encounter, everything that you will see and touch will be perfect. It will be a continual reflection of the perfection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We will be enamored by the amazing holiness of our God the Father. And Peter is saying, you look forward to that. We look forward to that. And that is the vision of heaven. And when we have the clarity of the vision of heaven, that vision gives us pain, a purpose. Whatever it is that we are going through here on earth, whatever suffering, whatever hardships that we are enduring, that vision of 
heaven. That vision of eternity is what allows us to endure the current sufferings and hardships that we encounter here on earth. There is nothing that compares to what is to come. Brothers and sisters, do you have that vision of heaven? Do you live with the vision of eternity in your heart? Do you have a clear vision of what is to come? Apostle Peter goes on. First, he talks about the vision of heaven, vision of eternity. Then he talks about the necessity of suffering. Say with me, necessity of suffering. Here he's simply basically saying there's purpose why you and I are suffering. And let's look at verse 7 here. So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That word proof in the beginning of verse 7 the same word can be rendered as test. Meaning, you are trying to see the nature of something. You're being tested. Peter is saying, you and I need suffering. Because these tests allow us to see the reality of our hearts. Meaning, only by these tests, the deficiencies, the sinful inclinations, the, uh, like selfishness, greed, evil, lust, deceitfulness, it's only by suffering that all the impurities in our faith will be revealed to us. Meaning, to be able to see the genuineness of our faith in Jesus, we have to be put through the test. This is what he's saying. He implies that you and I have something in us that we will never know we have unless we go through fire. Did you get that? And he alludes and he gives us an example about gold and, and the process in which gold is refined and made pure. And some of you guys already know this. The only way you can purify gold is that you put gold or, or, or bar or, or whatever pieces of gold, you put that through extreme heat, into extremely hot furnace. And in that extreme heat, all the dross, all the imperfections, all the, in, all the deficiencies of the block of gold will melt away. In the end of the purifying process, at the end of the result of the uh, intense heat, all that will be remain is the purest form of possible. Peter is saying the tribulations, the suffering that you and I may encounter, they're absolutely necessary because only by this suffering, only by these tribulations and hardships are our impurities, the imperfections, will melt away in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, we will never know that. We will not have the chance to have our faith be made perfect unless we go through trials. I love this saying. 
Adversity introduces a man to himself. You see, brothers and sisters, trials and suffering are our mirrors. Trials and suffering reveal our true selves. They expose all the sin, all the evil that's not revealed under normal circumstances. So when Apostle Peter is talking about here, testing of our faith, this is what it means. Only through test are we able to see the genuineness of our faith. Meaning God's going to bring to light all the imperfections, all the impurities, and he's going to put them through fire. As we are put through the fire, we will see as an end result, we become pure. We become more blameless. We become even more presentable as the bride of Christ, ready to be ushered into the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Such a beautiful, beautiful truth that you and I can hold on to. The current hardships, the suffering. Life is difficult, yeah. But this gives us a a new hope. This can give us a new perspective is that all of these things, all of these difficulties Uh, For no reason. It serves a great purpose. God is readying us. God is making us. God is preparing us as we will one day be ushered into the kingdom of heaven. Another reason for the necessity of suffering. And I want you to remember this. We encounter God on a whole different level, made only possible through these difficult tests. Think about the word divine intervention. Think about the intensity of that phrase, divine intervention. How often do we use that phrase? How important, how crucial is that phrase for us? I want you to remember that only through tests Only through extreme circumstances where we are in need will we see opportunities for God to show up in a great, great way. What does Psalm 46 tell us? It says, God is our refuge and my strength, a very present help in time of need. Meaning, God is always ready to help in times of great trouble and great suffering. God is able to roll up at an instant when we are put through intense suffering and trials. Think about all the instances where you are in despair. Think about all the moments that you found yourself in an extreme difficult situation. When you cried out for help. When you sought the presence of God. I could remember Daniel and his friends when they were being put into the furnace for their faith. The scriptures tell us that four men walked in, but they saw five men walk out of the furnace. Five men. The fifth person, of course, is no other than Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God himself, meaning God goes with you. Brothers and sisters, when we are going through extreme difficulties in our lives, when we're suffering greatly, Understand, remember that these are precisely the opportunities which God will be even more present 
in your life. Amen. Amen. You see, the degree of our suffering determines the degree of God's manifest power in our lives. Understand, if you're suffering today, perhaps God is creating a gateway so that he may appear to you more clearly. He may be able to provide for you more abundantly than he has ever had before in your life. Now, don't you want that? Don't you want to be refined? Do you not want your faith to be made perfect? Do you not want all of your imperfections, all of your sinful desires and thoughts, all these corruptible ways that you have in, your, in yourself, do you not want these things to be taken away from you and be lifted and, and be made even more pure in the presence of Christ? Or perhaps, do you not want God to be more present with you? Do you not want to hear his voice more clearly? Friends, maybe you're going through a tough time today. Maybe you're in the midst of great suffering and hardships. Understand that God today is here for you. And he's walking with you. This is why the Bible is so clear. It's only by these tests, only by these great moments of suffering, trials, persecutions, and hardships. Do you not remember what is written in James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4? Consider it pure, jo- uh, pure joy, brothers and sisters, as you encounter trials of various kinds, as these tests will cause you to persevere, and your perseverance will lead you to you maturing and being made complete in your faith. So whenever it is that we encounter these tests, we are able to rejoice. Crazy, I know. We're able to even celebrate because our eyes are set, what? On heaven, on the eternity to come. We greatly rejoice because what in us, in our hearts, God is producing in us the glory that is to last onto eternity. So for that reason, we rejoice. Maybe you are going through a tough season in your life right now. Maybe, again, you feel like you have been trapped underground. Maybe you've been crying out for help. Maybe you feel suffocated. Maybe you feel uh, entrapped. The word suffering, the word tribulations in the Greek language has this notion, the visual image of that you are entrapped in an enclosed space. And not only are you trapped in the enclosed space, but that enclosed space is getting tighter and tighter and tighter on you. But Paul says the same thing. Apostle Peter here says the same thing. Rejoice in the situations. Maybe you cry out in those spaces. You don't know if you're ever heard. You're not quite certain that you're going to be rescued 
things, things don't look very good for you. But be encouraged today. Look beyond it. You have your eyes fixed on something far beyond, far more beautiful, far more permanent. Fix your gaze upon the glory of heaven, glory of God that is waiting for you. And know that God is doing something in you right now. God is pruning you. God is purifying you. God is preparing you for heaven so that you will one day reign forever in heaven with him on to eternity. Brothers and sisters, heaven is not something, is not a story that we tell to our little children only. Heaven is a reality to be had and to be realized in our lives here on earth. Without such hope, without the clarity of vision of what is to come, we may not make it out okay. God is reminding us. God is telling me. God is telling you, live, have this living hope that is found in Jesus Christ. Obtaining as the outcome to your faith the salvation of your souls. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. Peter aptly closes that passage with the sufferings of Christ. That in him, as we attach our lives onto the suffering in the life of Jesus Christ, he's saying, look forward to the glory that is reserved for you in heaven. That is your inheritance. That is my inheritance. It has our names written all over it. And it is found in his son, Jesus Christ. Friends, may we live with such hope. Amen. Let's bow our heads in prayer.